0: All right, today we're discussing chapter 4 of Ephesians. Um, you preached the first section on verses 1 through 16. And, you know, I've heard a lot of ministry leaders and pastors speak of the five-fold ministry of the church. And it's based around the five that are mentioned there in verse 11. But I wondered if you and Michael have any further thoughts on what that looks like for today's church and today's ministry.
1: Yeah, well... Uh... I mentioned here hear Michael's thoughts on this as well. I mean, the way that I read that passage is I guess the same way that I read other passages in the New Testament where Paul talks about gifts that are given to the church. And he focuses here particularly on leadership gifts, other places he mentions different different types of gifts. But I tend to think that what, what Paul's doing when he when he mentions these gifts is not giving us necessarily an exhaustive list of the gifts that were available or even the leadership gifts that were available. I, I think there were probably other types of leaders that had other types of giftings as well. So when people talk about the five-fold ministries and those kinds of things, it's it's based on the idea that there are just these five, and these are
0: the leadership gifts. Yeah, that's gifts. an interesting perspective, because I, I would say your perspective is maybe not as widely or or as popular, maybe. Yeah, well I've, certainly, yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've, theology, I've heard
1: yeah. plenty of others who talk about this, is that there's the five-fold giftings yeah, and, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. But I think that Paul is describing some of the leaders in the early church and what they looked like. Um, I I just don't take it as a a totally contained list of giftings. Um, Because I I think in other places, that's just not where he goes when he he rattles off lists of gifts. I think it's for that particular context and and that time, and and there are many others. So I I like to think about it as God gives the gifts that every church needs. And I think God does give each church exactly what it needs in terms of the leaders that it needs. I think God gave the first century church the leaders that it needed, and they looked like these leaders here, maybe others, um, in particular emphases and priorities for the church. And I think today God gives churches the leaders that they need. I, I think each of these gifts I would see as still operating in some way in the church today, but I would also... Define them a little differently to the way that they worked in the first century. For example, I mm-hmm. think the ministry of being an apostle today would look a lot different to being in the first century. Yeah. Being an apostle in the yeah. first century means that you were you were commissioned by Jesus, or at least part of that very close circle of people who knew directly someone who had been commissioned by Jesus. Whereas you know today people talk about apostles. You could kind of have that apostolic gifting if you if you're out there planting churches. You know sometimes it gets applied to people in those kinds of settings. You know you're out there you're kind of on the on the frontiers. Of the mission field, doing this pioneering work, doing this evangelistic or this entrepreneurial work, and it's kind of apostolic. So I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with saying, yeah, I, I can see that. I could describe that as apostolic, as long as we understand we're not talking about the same thing as right. Paul the apostle. Right. Uh, you know, there's there's a difference there, but it's just taking, I guess, that idea of being sent out into a new mission field, and then trying to apply that principle to today. So that's some of the way that I would try and contextualize that. What yeah, and, and
2: when I look at this passage, to me the, the key part is actually verse 12, which says <clears throat> to equip the saints for the yeah. work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And to me the point of these gifts, whether it be this list here or whether it be a list in one of the other passages in the New Testament, is that we can equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. Mm. So it's less about whether you have in your church an evangelist or a teacher or a prophet or whatever. It's more about the goal is is that we can all grow and we can all mature in <laughs> our walk with God. Because if you look at where we start, right back in verse 4, it talks about walk in a manner worthy. And to me, the whole thrust of this section here is about how we can walk in a manner worthy, mm. And that God uses people like the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists mm. for what purpose? Mm. So that we can walk in the manner worthy. Yeah. So I think the whole focus needs to be less upon the people themselves and more upon what we're trying to do, yep. which is to help people grow and become mature followers of Jesus
0: Christ. That's
1: exactly. Yeah, so I agree. Because <clears throat> you can have people that say, well, you look at the gift of evangelism, for example, you could say, well, God's obviously given some people the gift of being an evangelist. And it can almost become a way of therefore saying, well, I don't have to do evangelism. Yeah. I, I don't have to reach yeah. anybody with the gospel because yeah. uh, you know, those, those evangelists over there are going to do it. But the point you make is that the, the, the purpose of the evangelists within a church, those who have the gift of evangelism, is to equip. Yeah. All of us, yeah. Well, every person who who loves Jesus is called to share their faith, and we should be being equipped by those who are gifted to do that.
0: And that's the real key, isn't it? Is that it's meant to build up the body of Christ. Right. It's not. It's not. He's not saying that that's specifically outreach oriented. Mm-hmm. He's saying it's what he lists there. What he speaks about is really. Building up those who are already in the body of Christ.
1: Yeah, building up the church. But part of that building up would be building up the church for mission.
0: To equip them yeah. to go out. To go yeah. out, yeah, yeah as yeah. well as
1: being built up in worship. Yeah, and, right. In fellowship and, all that, and built up in every way. And he says that, doesn't he? built up into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, mm. which surely must mean you know built up to to be a missionary church as well yeah, as in, sure. a caring yeah. church. Yeah. And that's kind of represented in those different gifts, isn't it? The teachers are teaching the you know the the apostolic teaching you've got evangelists equipping people for for mission apostles helping the church move into new mission fields and so on and one thing i love about that description of the gifts you look at the way paul describes it you know jesus has given these gifts to his church but the gifts are actually the people hmm. you know it talks about he he gave gifts to his people back in verse 8 but then when he comes to describe the gifts he says in verse 11 so christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the pastors. He doesn't say Christ gave the gift of apostleship and the gift of evangelism. I mean, he did, but Paul's point he is that people. the gifts are the people. Yeah, right. Like you're a gift. You know, mm-hmm. you're a gift. That we, ha- we we are we are to uh, the fact that we have these gifts is supposed to be a, a blessing. That we we are when we're using our gifts, we are a blessing. We are a gift to the body of Christ by virtue of helping to build up and strengthen the church, which I think is just a pretty cool way of thinking about it. When and by each
2: of us using our gifts, means that the body can function in the way it's intended to right. function. We all work together. All the pieces function in the way that they're intended to work. And so as we use the gifts that God has given to us, we become the body which Christ intended us to be. Mm. And so therefore, it doesn't become about me and the fact that I might have this particular gift, And someone else has this other gift, but it's more about the fact that we actually Mm. all work together Mm. and that we become the body of Christ as Christ intended. And therefore we show the fullness of Christ because we actually all work together. So it's less about me Mm. and the gift I have, but it's more about us working together to glorify God and to show his glory through the church. Mm.
0: Absolutely. So we've mentioned apostles and evangelists and teachers and not to avoid controversy here, but, uh, speak a little bit about prophets today and prophets in the sense of what Paul might have meant here.
1: Yeah, that's it's a big topic. I mean, prophets in the in in scripture and even to some degree in the in the first century were those who heard directly from the Lord. And you think of the prophets in the Old Testament and they speak forth the words of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and it's this direct communication received by the prophet and then spoken to the people. But I think the the nature of prophecy does change. I think the coming of Christ really does change the structure of what prophecy is. Uh, You know, I think of Hebrews 1, which says, In the past, God spoke to us in various ways in various times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. And I think you have to, if we take a Christ-centered view of Scripture, in fact, a Christ-centered view of history, then we should be saying that the, the, the greatest word God has spoken is Jesus. That's his, that's his primary communication. So leading up to Christ and around the time of Christ and as the church was beginning, I think that message of prophecy was pointing towards the coming of, of Jesus. But I think the ministry of prophecy from that point onwards then really becomes more about articulating who Christ is and unfolding the, the mysteries of, of Scripture and, and the truth of Scripture and helping people understand what has already been revealed. So I think today the ministry of of prophecy is better understood as those who speak forth the words of God, but the words of God that have already been revealed, Mm. that we have God's word, we have this revelation in front of us, and the prophets, I think, are those that can speak that word uh, into many different situations, uh, and sometimes into situations where it may not even be uh, seen as welcome or relevant, but to be able to see how God's word speaks into all sorts of situations and contexts, but not so much in this, thus saith the Lord, I've received this direct communication from God. And I'm I'm not saying that God can't speak directly to us, but I think the ministry of prophecy is more based now around taking what God has revealed, Mm. particularly in and through Jesus, and then communicating that into new situations today. That's how I see it. And I think
2: we live in a very different age than what, because we do have Christ. You know, the fullness of the gospel is revealed in Jesus Christ. The truth of what was revealed throughout the hundreds of years prior to the coming of Christ is now fully revealed in Jesus Christ. So we're not looking for things in the same way that the Old Testament saints were and the way the Old Testament prophets were speaking, because we do have Jesus Christ. And even as it expresses in this particular passage here, the fullness of Christ. So the fullness of Christ has been yeah. revealed to us. Mm. So therefore we exactly. Yeah. So, mm. so therefore we we experience things in a different way today than what they did before Christ came. Mm. And I think that we need to be aware of that. And then we also obviously have the Word of God as well, which reveals Christ to us. So we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have Jesus Christ fully revealed. So therefore the truth of God is fuller to us today as Christians than what it was before Christ came.
0: Mm.
1: I think sometimes the way that word gets used today as well um, is, you know, we talk about having the church having a prophetic voice into culture, Uh, and I think that's a relevant use of that word. I think, again, that's a bit different to what prophecy was in the first century. But I think if by that we mean the church being able to bring the truth of the gospel and the truth of scripture and the truth of Jesus to bear on the issues in our culture, and to speak into those issues, and to speak into the public square, uh, based on the authority of of the Lord, not our own authority, then uh, I I think that's, that's important. I think that's an important role the church has. And one of the ways that sometimes is described as having a prophetic voice, that we're able to discern how... The truths of Scripture are relevant to and connect to some of the contemporary concerns of our culture and the contemporary needs of our culture, whether that, you know, around any issue, whether you're speaking into euthanasia or gender issues or abortion or whatever it is, having a prophetic voice into those issues. So again, that doesn't necessarily mean having this thus saith the Lord approach, but it is the ability to connect Scripture with the times that we're living in. And so if, if that's the way it's being used, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I'm okay with that. I think a lot of yeah. this, again, is just defining what you mean yeah, when you say sure. prophecy or prophetic.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Um, the second uh, message in this uh, chapter four was really about the Christian faith. And you mentioned <laughs> that the Christian faith is a way of life and not just something that we believe. Mm. And then you pointed out that verse 22, you felt like was the heart of the whole passage there. Mm-hmm. And this verse is talking about putting off the old self, the false self, and putting on the new self. So do you think that this is like a one-off thing that happens to you, or is it something that has to happen over and over again? Yeah, well, I wish it was a one-off thing. <laughs> I think my own life is testimony to the fact that it's
1: not a one-off thing. I mean, what is a one-off thing is that we're we're born again. And so we, and I, I tried to explain this, that we... we we receive this new identity. So we are being made new. And I think this is so much of what Paul's often talking about, you know, that he says, we have become this new creation. And so therefore, the journey of the Christian life, in a sense, is becoming who we already are. It's becoming who, who we've been made to be in Christ Jesus. We have been uh, saved by grace. And now, therefore, we live like it. We live that out. We work that out. But it's not becoming some different thing. We've already received this identity. But that journey of putting off the old self, which is getting rid of those practices that define my old life before I knew Jesus, and living fully into this new life, which means living into the character of Jesus, the way of Jesus, that is a lifetime journey and beyond you know that that is in the sense that's never it's not completed in this life either is it you know we're we're always on that journey is that encouraging or discouraging <laughs> <laughs> well luckily god's gracious with us right but it you know it is isn't it you, you 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 think you've maybe dealt with one area of your life and god will reveal something new to for us to for us to work on but i think that's where this is just looking in the uh, in the various areas Of our lives and just asking those simple questions that we asked uh, you know when I did this message of what is God calling us to put off what's that behavior or that attitude or that practice and and what is he calling me to to put on and even to focus around one particular thing in our lives that's holding us back at the moment uh, and really ask God to to deal with that thing but I, I tried to bring out the fact that you know this is not just trying to modify your behavior because you're just not going to get anywhere if it's just sheer willpower. This this all has to be done in the context of a living, growing relationship with Christ because it's his power. It's the power of the Spirit that we're totally dependent on to make any progress.
2: One of the things that I find interesting in this passage, and and it also comes again in in chapter 5, is what does God do and what do we have to do? Mm, mm. And it's like, when you read through some of this, it's like, it's totally God that's doing it. It's like I'm just sitting back and it's the grace of God and God is doing all this sort of work within my life and I don't need to do anything. And then there's some other parts when it comes to the putting off and it's like it's my responsibility to do these things as well. And, And I guess I love what's talked about here, but I also find it challenging that tension that seems to exist between what God is doing in my life and what I'm responsible for doing in my life as well. Now, it seems like it's not one thing or the other, but it's actually the two of those things working together. Yes, it's God 100% working within me to change me, to transform me, to help me take off those wrong things. But also, I have a part to play as well, and that I
1: am responsible for ensuring that I am living the life that God Mm, wants me to live. Yeah, totally. That just reminded me of a verse in Philippians, which is one I come back to in that, that dilemma of what okay. does God do here and what do we do here. But Paul says in Philippians 2.12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you yeah. to will and to act according to his good purpose. And that's where you, you sort of come back to that idea. It's actually both. It's, it's yeah. always it's always both. I mean, we are commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So there is something that we have to do. And I think that's important. You know, that's, it's not something that's going to be done without us. It's not something that God's just going to zap us and transform our character. I mean, Paul says, I insist on this, that you must no longer live. You know, this is we've got real responsibility here. But at the same time, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Coming back to Philippians again. And so as we are seeking to act and to put these sins to death, it's. Everything that's happening is of God. It's his power that's working in us. It's his spirit that's transforming us. It's him that's bringing about spiritual fruit in our life. And I guess I don't don't know exactly how you can ever discern completely where our responsibility sits in that and exactly where God's responsibility. Somehow it's all him who's doing this. Any real transformation that happens in our life is all from the spirit. But we certainly have a role to play. It's
2: interesting you mentioned that verse in Philippians too, because (coughs) as I was thinking about this passage today, Mm. That was the verse I opened up right. in my Bible yeah, as well. Yeah. Because I think it so clearly portrays the the fact that this is fully God working, but actually I have a part to play yep. as well. Yep. And that we can't sort of sit back and say, well, God's going to do it all. Because actually mm-hmm. we need to take some responsibility for the way we live our lives as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, some of the thoughts that came to mind for me around that old self, new self thing is, is also the inputs we put into our lives yeah and um it's funny we're going to to uh, philippians again you brought up philippians 2 i was thinking of philippians 4 or 8 that uh, my boys and i memorized um just talking about the you know if you only put rubbish into your mind that's what your mind is on yeah so paul says there in verse 8 put your mind on things that are true and right and and good and and uh, lovely and those things that are admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. So in other words, it's it's filling our lives up more with God, which actually simplifies mm-hmm. the, the what I'm responsible for, what God's responsible for um, aspect, yeah. I guess, in that sense of when you have your life focused on God, you're less drawn to Mm. the things that aren't of God. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so true at a practical level. I just know in my own life when I'm walking with the Lord um, and the Holy Spirit's really working in my life, I'm just less susceptible. I mean, we're always still susceptible to temptation but I'm less likely to be led into some of those old yeah, patterns and habits. But we it's still temptation, we don't
0: run to, to yeah. it so easily. Yeah, our heart is just not,
1: God, yeah. Yeah, not as inclined. I think when we're walking, keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul calls it in Galatians, then we're more open to those nudges of the Spirit as well when we're getting ourselves into those t- temptation situations. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're just more open to the Spirit nudging us away from those. I think when our heart is is more turned towards Jesus and we're really walking with him. We're just, our heart is not as drawn to the things of our old self, you know, that, that our heart is more anchored to Christ. But of course, as long as we're in this world, as long as we're in this life, the flesh is still pulling at us. It's still gnawing away at us. And so there's always, always that temptation. But yeah, I, I totally agree. It is it is what we feed ourselves. And <coughs> this comes back to the importance of just continually anchoring our hearts in Jesus Christ and turning our hearts towards him, and doing those things that, that cultivate a love for Christ. We're the, we will always want to do the things that our hearts love. You know, We're always drawn to what we love. And if we, learn, if we teach our hearts to love Jesus more and more and more, we will be drawn more and more towards him and away from sin. But uh, you never want to be simplistic about it and assume the temptation's all going to go away. It's absolutely a lifelong journey. And I think the other thing in this is that we need each other. You know, on that journey, the community is so important. Just as we talked about all the gifts in the church, you yeah. know, it's not that that becomes irrelevant in this passage. Mm-hmm. We need one another on this journey as well.
2: And you've mentioned it several times, Ruben, but that concept of a journey I think is such mm. a, a critical one here. You know, the language there is around walking, it's around a journey. So it's not something that we will attain to yeah. overnight, Yeah. but it is a process. And at times, that journey feels like you are walking up a steep cliff, Mm. other times it feels like perhaps coasting down a bit more easy down the other side of it, but it is a journey, it has its ups and downs, it has its enjoyable spots, Mm. it has its challenging spots, but that with Christ's spirit working within us, that that enables us to walk the journey and become more and more like Christ as we move on to that maturity Mm. in Christ Mm. and like you said um, again in this passage it talks about the unity of the faith Mm. it's not something we do on our own Mm. it's actually something that we do together as a Christian community Mm. and it's not just me as an individual reaching maturity in Christ but it's actually something that we do Mm. together Mm. as a family as um, brothers and sisters in Christ that we can encourage each other in that journey and become more and more mature in our Christian faith.
0: Well, thanks, guys. Uh, I'm enjoying this journey through Ephesians, and I hope everyone who is uh, listening to these discussions are enjoying it as well. So look forward to uh, Chapter 5 coming up. Good Good one. Thanks, having Okay, thank you.